Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, good morning, everybody. You can have a seat. Take off your mask if you feel comfortable doing so. So, so good to be with you all this morning, uh, whether you're here in person or uh, joining with us online. If we haven't met, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you've been following us with us for the past few weeks, we've been working our way through our series on spiritual maturity. And we've been looking at how the Bible invites us to think about maturity and what it means to grow in our character and to be shaped by the Holy Spirit and the things that he produces in us as we've particularly been exploring the fruit of the Spirit. And if you missed our series so far, I want to encourage you to go back. You can listen to the, the first few weeks and even learn more about some of the fruit of the Spirit we've looked at so far. Uh, but one of the things that I want to remind us of as we've been looking at Paul's words in Galatians that he writes about the fruit of the Spirit, it's that they're written as part of a letter that he gives to a church that's really struggling. Paul writes to a church, the church in Galatia, that's experiencing all kinds of division and relational conflict between different people. And one of the things that they're really uh, struggling to experience in their church and in their lives is joy. And in the midst of that, Paul writes to them about this fruit of the Spirit as a reminder that they need to get back to the basic things that only the Holy Spirit can grow in them. Here's what Paul says. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, as you look at this list, and maybe you've done this a little bit over the past few weeks, but which one of these do you particularly sense that you need to grow in this year? For me, as I think of my life and even the season of my life, I just really struggle to, uh, at times, to experience joy. And in this letter to this struggling church, Paul is going to teach and remind them that one of the signs of maturity that can be produced and grow in us by the Spirit is joy. And joy is the fruit that we're going to look at this morning. Now, as you hear the word joy, what comes to mind for you? What's the first thing that you think of? For me, I actually uh, uh, think of uh, Christmas songs that for some reason, I, uh, songs that I love at Christmas time, but I can't stand listening to any other time of the year. Uh, another thing that comes to mind when I hear the word joy is lately our girls have been uh, listening to a VeggieTales CD. I don't know if you've heard of VeggieTales before. Uh, if you haven't, God bless you. It's, uh, no, I'm kidding. It's a little weird, but basically, you know, it's uh, these vegetables. It's a show or movies where vegetables teach children about Jesus and the Bible, and they have all kinds of crazy songs, and we have this soundtrack, and one of the first songs on the soundtrack is like this guy singing, I've got this joy, 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 joy down in my heart, and I can't stand it. 
Uh, it makes me feel like I want to do a hoedown, and I really don't like that feeling. Uh, but yeah, if I, when you think of the word joy, what comes to mind for you? Maybe as you think of this idea uh, of happiness. Maybe it's a favorite place, like a vacation spot that you like to go to every year or would normally go to every year, or a favorite memory or moment in your life. Maybe for some of you that's remembering the day that your children were born. Maybe for some of you that's not a joyous moment at all. Uh, or maybe it's a certain hobby or activity that you like to do, whether it's reading a good book or playing a sport or painting, or even a certain time of the year, a certain season of the year. Or maybe when you hear the word joy, it makes you even think of certain people that just seem to have this certain disposition or seem to be happier or have a bubblier personality. Now, when all these things are, are good things and good gifts that God has given us even to, in, to enjoy, as we look at the Bible and at the fruit of the spirit called joy, the Bible invites us to think about joy as more than just a moment or a certain place or more than even a certain kind of mood or emotion. The Bible invites us to think about joy as a sign of maturity that we should grow in. It invites us to think about a kind of joy that's meant to take root in us that grows no matter the moment or the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, my family, many of you know this, uh, my family and I moved uh, almost a year ago now uh, to my, back to Montreal and we're in our new house and we're kind of at the stage in our house now where we're uh, finally putting up paintings and, and picture frames and shelves and it's a bit of a reminder to us as we've been doing this, as my wife Jazz and I have been putting these up, that we're really bad for some reason at anchoring things properly to the wall. And uh, as I think over the past few years, there have been more than a few times where in the middle of the night or a funny time of the day, we had shelves in our kitchen that came crashing down uh, and all the things fell off of them. Or we had a big mirror that's up in our new house in, in one of the rooms and it came falling down one day. And uh, so if you ever need help putting things up, you know who not to call. Uh, but it was a reminder, you know, as I thought about this uh, and I thought about it particularly the time that the, that the shelves fell in the kitchen. I, I, I can't help but imagine what would have happened if our children had been there at the time that those fell. Uh, and I imagine, um, you know, it's an important reminder for us that when things aren't anchored properly, that even if they look good or seem fine for a long time, they can easily come crashing down as a result of too many bumps or shaking. And for so many, so many of us, that's also our experience as we think about joy, isn't it? That the joy we can experience can feel so fleeting because it's not anchored in something that's strong enough. Even though everything seems fine or may look good, when things are going well or circumstances are good, when things start to get rough or things get a little bit of shaky or there's times of testing, everything can feel like it's going to come crashing down. And then it even can lead to uh, collateral damage within our relationships, with our families, with our kids, in our marriages, with people close to us. And in one of his teachings, Jesus warns us of this kind of temporary joy that we can seek that doesn't last because it doesn't have a strong enough anchor or it's not rooted in the right thing. And it's a parable that we, we actually looked at briefly in week one of this series on, on spiritual maturity. And it comes from Luke's gospel. And uh, Jesus tells us in this, in this parable about people who can hear and even experience the good news of Jesus in a way that doesn't take root in their lives and it fails to grow. 
And uh, we looked at part of this parable in week one, but I want to look at another part that talks particularly about this kind of uh, way of experiencing joy. And here's what it says. It said, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. In this part of the parable, Jesus warns us that there's a kind of joy that we can seek that isn't rooted in something deeper. Uh, that good news that he wants to grow in us doesn't last when this happens. Jesus warns us that when our joy isn't rooted in the right things, we can easily sort of fall away or lose that joy whenever we're faced with tough trials or circumstances. And this is so important for all of us to pay attention to just as a sign in our lives that joy has not taken root in a deep enough way that when we're faced with difficult circumstances or situations, that joy easily falls away. And more than that, it's a sign of needing to grow when in those moments, not only do you have no joy, but it affects how you treat those around you. When your loss of joy causes you to maybe lash out or take that out on other people. As you think about this idea of joy, what does joy look like for you in those moments of testing or when you're faced with tough circumstances? What areas maybe of your life does joy still need to take root in a deeper way? Be honest as you think about that. And you know, I don't ask that question or prompt that as a way of kind of guilting or shaming you. Uh, and you know, for some of us, we, you know, maybe you even struggle in a real way to experience joy, not even uh, in, in low circumstances, but at any point. And, and it's very important for us just to say as a church how important it is to, to take that seriously and to look for, to look for help in those situations. Uh, but, but for all of us, it can be a good litmus test as we think about joy, to think about what happens to our joy in moments uh, where we're experiencing bad circumstances, to think about how we respond in those moments. And as we think about joy in our lives and the longing that we all feel for joy, Jesus wants us to grow in the kind of joy that takes roots in our lives in a way where we can be joyful no matter the circumstances. That there's a kind of joy that the Holy Spirit produces and grows in us that's deeper than just our emotions, that's deeper than our mood, and it's deeper than our circumstances. There's a kind of joy that Jesus talks about that we can even experience as we mourn. It's not the kind of joy that's just about positive thinking or ignoring the real problems of this world. Or it's the kind of, but a kind of joy that as we learn to be real about the things that we need to grieve, to be real about our disappointments, or to grieve even in times of real loss, that that joy is available to us even in the midst of those times and even in the midst of real suffering and hardships. This is the kind of joy we all long for, isn't it? We all have this deep longing for this kind of joy that can mature and grow in us no matter the situation or the season. And it's the kind of joy uh, to, that to grow in needs to be rooted in the right thing. Later on in Luke's gospel, Jesus is eating dinner at someone's home and he's with a bunch of different guests, different people, and he begins to share about this idea of joy and about the kinds of things that joy is meant to be rooted in as we think about our longing for joy. And as he's doing this, he begins to tell uh, his listeners a few different parables, and one of them is the parable you might have heard about called the, par the parable of the prodigal son. 
Uh, it's a very well-known parable of Jesus, and if you've heard the story before, uh, often when you think of this parable, we often think immediately of this first son in the story. In this story, Jesus t- begins to tell us about this son who asks for his father's inheritance early, and then he takes off and he pursues joy and happiness in all the wrong things and in all the wrong places. He chases after different kinds of pleasures and blows all of his money on reckless living until this famine hits and he realizes that in that moment he has nothing left and he's left feeling sort of lost and empty. And this son represents for us someone whose search for joy is really disconnected from the root of joy. He's symbolic of how easy it is for each of us to look for joy and to look for fulfillment in the wrong kinds of things and in the kinds of things that don't really last. So that's the experience of the first son and what he represents in the story. But where Jesus really wants to draw our attention is to, and to teach us about this joy is not by drawing our attention primarily to the son, but by drawing our attention to the father in this story. Here's what happens when the son decides to come home. It says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. In this parable, that Jesus tells us joy emerges in a way that nobody expects and from a place that nobody expects who's listening. That it's not the son who first demonstrates this joy, it's the father. And the father is so full of joy for his son that he actually runs up to him and embraces him and meets him while he's still far off. Now, for those of you listening today, and especially if you've heard this story many times, it might not seem like a big deal for the father to do something like this, but in the ancient world, it would have been unthinkable for the father to do this. For the father to behave in a way that he runs to his son and embrace him wasn't just weird at the time. It would have been unthinkable. It would have even been considered shameful for the father to do this. And yet, Jesus is telling us through this parable that that this is what joy really looks like, that there's a kind of joy that can only come from the Holy Spirit because it's a reflection of what God is really like and the joy that God has for us, that he's the kind of God who's filled with joy and who runs to us to share that joy with us, that even while we're still far off from him, he runs to us with joy, no matter the decisions we've made in the past, no matter the places or the things that we've tried to find fulfillment in before apart from him. And this is such an important Christian idea and principle. And if you're taking notes, maybe you can write this down, that God in his very nature is a God who's full of joy, that he's always been a God of joy, and that he actually rejoices 
in the good things that he's doing in this world, that he rejoices in drawing people close to him to, to experience his love that he has for them, that he's the kind of God who rejoices and, res- and celebrates whenever who, people who feel lost are drawn to him. And as they begin to realize that their joy is meant to be found in him. The kind of joy that the Holy Spirit grows in us, it's joy that comes from the Father. One of the most important ways that we can learn to be rooted in this kind of joy, in God's joy, is by learning to celebrate and to rejoice in the things that God already celebrates and rejoices in. It's learning not only to celebrate just anything in our lives, but to celebrate particularly the spiritual things that really matter to God. To celebrate that God is at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And there are all kinds of things that we celebrate in our culture, right? Many, many good things. You know, the fact that the Habs made it all the way to the Stanley Cup finals this year. The fact that, uh, that Italy won the cup. I didn't celebrate that, but some of you did. Uh, We celebrate, you know, right now as we're watching the Olympics when people earn a medal, or we celebrate graduations or holidays. There's so many things, so many good things that we celebrate in our world. And it's good to celebrate those things, but at the same time, it's easy for us to miss celebrating the things that really matter, the real spiritual things. It's easy for us to miss celebrating the kinds of things that really matter to God and that God really rejoices in. I do this far too often with my own children, with my own girls, that I'm, I'm quick maybe to celebrate when they've made good grades or when they've said something clever that shows how smart they are, or when they've done well with a piano piece or with an art thing or whatever it is, but that I, I so often miss celebrating or encouraging or recognizing in them the times that they've learned to say sorry to one another. Or the times where they've, they're actually learning to forgive one another. Or to celebrate times that they show just a deep compassion or empathy for somebody who's hurting. Or when they're growing in the ways that they're learning to pray and to even recognize God's purpose and call in their lives and realize how much God loves them and finds joy in them. So often, I miss celebrating those kinds of things. It's so easy for us to celebrate other things in our lives, but then miss the things, uh, celebrating the the spiritual things, the things that really God is already rejoicing in. And to cultivate that joy by learning to recognize and to celebrate how God is at work in our lives today. As a church, even, it's so important for us that we're learning to recognize and to come up with creative ways to celebrate how God is at work in our lives. So much of, of how we, why we gather is to do exactly that. And, you know, as I think about our, our youth, particularly at the 180, that it's so important for us to look at different ways to celebrating the ways that they're growing in spiritual maturity, to celebrate the ways that they're uh, maturing in their love for one another or for others, for their friends at school, or for how they're discovering their own sense of purpose or calling in their lives. And it's so important for each of us to learn to cultivate God's joy by paying attention to celebrating the things and the ways that He's already at work in our lives and in the lives around us. What would maybe that look like for you in this season as you think about this week as you think about the things happening in your lives, what would it mean for you to begin to really pay attention 
to the ways that God is already at work in you and in the lives around you. And to learn to really celebrate those is a way of entering into God's joy. We need to look for ways to cultivate God's joy and to celebrate those simple, uh, to celebrate that in simple but really meaningful ways. Now, as Jesus uh, shares about this parable uh, of the prodigal son, just really when we think he's going to wrap up the story or we think the story is over, he then introduces us to another character, which is the, the, the older son. You see, while this celebrating is happening for the younger son who's now returned home, uh, Jesus tells us that the older son, here, he's out in the field and he's working and he hears this noise of the celebration and he wants to find out uh, why the, his father is putting on the celebration and so he finds out that it's for his younger brother and this is, what he's, this is what happens next. This is what he says. It says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Wow. What strong words. The older brother in this story really represents for us someone who not only fails to be rooted in God's joy, but he's symbolic of somebody who's even allowed something else to take root, to keep him from experiencing that joy. One of the key signs, and this is so important for us to, to pay attention to, that one of the key signs in our own lives that something else has maybe begun to take root in place of God's joy is we, when we begin to see our circumstances or when we begin to see other people who are close to us or when we even, be, when we even begin to see God as something that's competing with us for the joy that we seek. As when we begin to see those things as competing with our own joy. The older brother really represents for us someone who has let other things take root in his life so much that he refuses to celebrate the good news that his own brother has come home. The other day, um, I was uh, cutting grass outside, uh, mowed the lawn, and um, I was going to trim the lawn with a whippersnipper and realized I ran out of gas. And uh, often those small whippersnippers need like a special mix of gas and, and oil. And so I was almost finished my, my can of gas. I had like a tiny, tiny little bit left, and I wanted to get the, the ratio right before trimming uh, the lawn. So I uh, actually did something I, I, I never normally do. That I, It's probably a bad thing to do. I wouldn't recommend. But I uh, tried to dilute this little bit of gas as much as I could and pour it out on the side of my, my house on the lawn. And I thought that I had diluted enough, that it was just a little bit, that it wouldn't be a problem, and I kind of sprayed the area, and I thought everything was fine. And then uh, a day later, when I came and looked at it, all the grass there had died. There was a big patch of dead grass. I would take a picture, but I was too embarrassed to show everybody. You can kind of get the theme that I'm just not really good at any kind of handy things in general. Um, but as I think about that dead patch of grass on the side of our house, it's a reminder of this principle that something that might seem really small or even insignificant in our lives can really almost be poisonous if it takes root in a way that really begins to sink in to the roots. 
as we look at the older brother in this story, it's a warning to us that there are things in our lives that can take root that may seem even harmless at first, but if we really allow them to take root, they can, they can become so poisonous that they even rob us of the joy that God wants to have for us. We can develop, and even in that, a kind of dead spirituality that can even look good for, to others on the outside, but is really dying almost from the inside out. It's a warning for us even that there are things that can take root uh, in our lives in place of God's joy and that there can even be a type of obedience that emerges that's totally absent of joy. This is what really happens with the older brother. And this is why even for all of us, we need to pay attention to the fact that it's easy even to almost fake spiritual maturity that we can develop this kind of legalism that kind of looks like obedience on the outside, but it's rooted in, in, it's not rooted, I should say, in God's character or God's joy that he has for us or for other people. We can develop a kind of obedience that's just about checking the right boxes or looking uh, obedient on the outside without any real growth on the inside. And that if we allow other things to take root in our lives in place of God's joy, we can read our Bibles and we can come to church and we can even pray and make sacrifices without ever really growing in spiritual maturity or into God's joy. It's a kind of, of, of maturity or obedience that's not rooted in who God really is and in his joy for us. And this kind of obedience uh, it's, it's like sort of a type of obedience uh, that's void of God's joy is such a problem, I think, for so many uh, Christians in the church today, and maybe even how some of us were taught what Christianity was about growing up. In fact, it's one of the, I think one of the number of the one ways that we can confuse, for so many of us, what it looks like to grow in spiritual maturity. That instead of our obedience being rooted and growing out of God's joy, it can really take root in other things. So many other things in our lives can take place of God's joy. Things like anger or bitterness or even fear. Or the need maybe to impress or to compete with other people to look a certain way. Or maybe even a false belief that, de belief that develops about God that, that I need to perform almost in a certain way in order to earn God's approval or, or to earn God's joy for me. That's totally disconnected from God's character. As you consider the story of the older son, are there things maybe in your life that God's wanting you to pay attention to that maybe have begun to take root in place of God's joy? What are things that maybe uh, might be beginning to get in the way of the joy that God has for you and that he wants you to experience? Maybe this week God's inviting you to really to pay attention and to allow him to even begin to uproot those things that are getting in the way. To learn to surrender those things in order for his joy to really take root or to, to grow in strength in a new and a deeper way. What are some of those things in your life? Maybe it's, it's disappointment or anger or fear or bitterness or maybe even again a, a false view or negative view about God, the, the false idea maybe that he doesn't even want what's best for you. In John's gospel, as Jesus is nearing the end of his life, 
And he's sharing now some of his last words that he's going to share to his disciples before he goes to the cross. He reminds them of what it means to cultivate a life that's rooted in God, to cultivate a life that's, that's centered on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and that's centered on God the Father and his character. And this is what he says. He teaches, as he's teaching and reminding them of these things, he says these words. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus leaves us with these words to say this is now at the heart of what it will mean to be my church, to embody my joy and to cultivate it in a way that is spread to others. You will now be those who learn to embody my joy even after I'm gone. That by the Holy Spirit, you will grow and mature in a way that my joy becomes more and more full in you and it begins to spill out to others in your life. As we learn to be rooted in God's love and to celebrate the things that God is doing, and to pay attention to the things that maybe even are getting in the way, we grow in the kind of joy that's with us even as we grieve real loss, even as we experience ups and downs, even as, or even in the midst of suffering or hardship in our lives. It's the kind of joy that even when bad things happen, it doesn't define who we are or cause us to even doubt God's love for us. Jesus leaves us with these words so we can embody this joy as his church. And this is why it's so important for us as a church to learn to cultivate and share in God's joy as we gather together by celebrating the right things together, by singing songs about his love and and the good news of what he's doing, by celebrating baptisms as we celebrate as people move who, who were lost or now find their joy in him or to take communion together and to remember and to celebrate his love and his sacrifice for that he made for us. We worship together to root ourselves in the kind of joy that only comes from God, who is so full of joy already and so full of love for us. After Jesus will leave his disciples and after he gives them this gift of the Holy Spirit and he leads them with his words, These early followers will learn to embody his joy and his way of life in a way that will quickly spread and become so contagious and irresistible to those around him. That even in the midst of the real persecution and even in the face of death, that they will become so rooted in God's joy that it will continue to spread and to draw others to experience God's joy and his love for them. What would it look like for you as you think about God's joy? To trust that there's the kind of joy that the Holy Spirit really wants to produce in you. I know I need that joy in my life. I need that to keep growing in me, to be cultivated in in me in a way that that spills out to those around me. As you think about your own life, as you think about your circumstances, maybe your relationships, what would it look like for God's joy to really take root in you in a deeper way? 
What would it mean to learn to, to cultivate that joy by celebrating the things that God is already celebrating, the things that God is already doing in your life and in the lives of others, in your kids and in your marriage or in your other relationships but with brothers or sisters or coworkers? What are the kinds of spiritual things that God celebrates and the ways that God is at work in you? And what are the ways that maybe through you God wants you to draw others to help him to draw others to experience that joy. We need that joy. We need him to renew our understanding of who he is and the things that he finds joy in and the way that he finds joy in us and loves us. We need his joy to, 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 to restore our relationships, to restore our sense of how he is at work in our lives. So as we wrap up, I'm going to invite you just all to stand with me as we, as we pray. You can put your masks on as we pray to close. Father God, we, th- we thank you that you are a God who is full of joy that even before time began, that you, you have that joy and that as we think of even the end of time, that you will still be full of joy and that you invite us to enter into that, that you rejoice over us. Thank you that you are a loving Father who runs after us, who wants us to experience and to draw us into your joy, even when we're far off from you, even when we're searching for joy in all the wrong things, that you are a God who even by your Holy Spirit can uproot in us the things that get in the way. By your Holy Spirit, would you do that work in us again, God? Would you renew our understanding of who you are? Would you renew the sense of joy that we long for in our lives, the kind of joy that is with us despite our circumstances, that is with us even as we're real about about disappointment and about loss in our lives. Would you build and grow in us a kind of joy that is lasting, that is only found in you, Jesus, with you at the center of our lives. God, we want that joy. We want to experience it in, in our own lives, and we want to share in your joy and to learn to celebrate how the ways that you are already at work. Help us to pay attention to ways that you are at work maybe now that we don't see in our own lives and in, and in people around us. By your spirit, would you bring a, an awareness, a deep awareness of the things that you rejoice in in our lives? And would you help us to enter into that? We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone. So good to be with you all this morning. Uh, If you're listening online, we'll see you next week. Uh, Just a bit of instruction before you go. Feel free uh, to hang around for a few minutes. Uh, When you do make your way out, uh, just a reminder, you'll go out through these doors and you can pick up your, go around to pick up your kids out at the front. But again, feel free to, to hang around a little bit. So good to be with you all and God bless.